The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. This morning it is, again, a privilege and an honor to be able to gather together in something that we should never take for granted. I saw some pictures of one of our sister churches this week down in Panama City, and literally, it's a beautiful church with the high steeple and the gorgeous sanctuary, and literally the roof was ripped off, and that they are unable to gather together this morning, at least in that structure, uh, to worship, uh, but they are still gathering together because, uh, as the pastor was saying, uh, we may not have a building, but we have a body, and the body is going to gather together, and they're going to worship, and there are so many around the world who walk for miles to gather together on a Sunday morning to worship and to praise the Lord and to hear from his word that they truly have a hunger and a thirst for the things that pertain to God. And it is exciting to be able to be a part of a church which holds those same things that we enjoy and are passionate about gathering together to worship our God, for he is worthy of our praise, that it is important not to forsake the gathering together of God's people each week as we come together, and then within the context of the service to highlight and to raise high the beauty of God's word. For this morning, as we come and we're looking at the beatitude, that says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We are seeing God, as it were, through his word that because of the redemptive work of Christ in our lives, uh, the scales have been removed. We now read this not as a human document or a book, but we see it as the very uh, flowing of the life of God to us. And in that way, we see him. And it is a blessing that is received by those who know Christ. What an incredible blessing uh, that, that moment when the Lord opens our hearts and our eyes and we receive him that this becomes alive, it has a pulse, and it is something that we are drawn to regularly, that is, to his word. And so this morning, as we come to his word, let's ask him to bless it and to send his spirit afresh and anew uh, that we would hear and understand what he has to say to us today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to your word with great reverence. We come to it with great longing, and we come to it with great excitement knowing that we get to hear from you today, that your spirit is going to teach us something, to take these words, this ink that is on a page, and breathe life into it so as we are hearing it afresh from when Christ spoke on that mountain. And he said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Father, purify our hearts, and would we see you today. To Christ be the glory. Amen. This morning we are continuing as we have been for a number of weeks, our study in the Sermon on the Mount, looking at chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew's account of Christ's life. And this is the sermon that Jesus preached, and therefore the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher that has ever lived as Christ spoke these words 
they were transformational. They were cataclysmic in their setting, for the people had never heard anything like this. Uh, they were amazed constantly by Jesus, uh, because Jesus, number one, never shied away from a conflict. He wasn't willing to allow someone uh, to stay in their lostness, to stay in their misunderstanding uh, of who he was. He would challenge them. He would uh, have a healthy conflict with them to say, no, uh, what you believe is wrong and here is the truth, that he would teach and preach in a way uh, that had authority and the people were amazed by that, for the rabbinic traditions of the day were simply to expound upon the teachings of other rabbis, uh, but never to say, this is the truth, as Jesus said in the good uh, old King James, verily, verily, I say unto you, truth, truth, I say to you, what I am about to speak is true. There is no need for discussion. There is no need for debate. It is breathed out of me. It comes from me, the living word. Therefore, you can bank the entirety of your life, both here and into eternity, on it. And the people leaned in, for they'd never heard anything like this before. They were drawn to Jesus. Uh, they wanted to hear what he had to say. And many of you are here in that same way. You are drawn to Christ. You don't know why particularly, but you're drawn to it. And my hope today is that as you hear these words, it would soften your heart and not harden them, uh, that it would change you and you would be drawn less to him as the wonderful teacher and more so as time goes as the incredible savior, the God who he is. And so we come and we're focusing on the Beatitudes, which are the first uh, 11 verses there. It's Jesus teaching about the Christian life. If the whole Sermon on the Mount is a description of kingdom life, these first verses are a description of a Christian, of someone, a citizen of the kingdom. So let's come and hear from God's word as we read these verses as we do each week from Matthew chapter 5. This is the word of the Lord. Seeing the crowds, he went up, that is, Jesus went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of it. Amen. As we've said now each week, the Beatitudes are a description of a person most to be congratulated. It is speaking of blessedness, of a divine happiness, of a divine approval. That word blessed, happy can mean approved. So this is the picture of an approved one. 
This isn't a picture of the things that you must do in order to be approved, but they are the things which have transpired within the life of a follower of Jesus Christ, and they are descriptive more so than they are prescriptive. That They describe who we are, that we are poor in spirit, for we know our spiritual poverty. We know that we can't save ourselves in that way, and we call out to Christ. That we recognize that in that poverty, we mourn over our sinfulness. We realize that it cost Christ his very life in order to love us and to redeem us. That we then recognize that we bring nothing to the table and we're the most meek of all people, the most humble, who we recognize ourselves with great dignity, uh, that we can stand with our shoulders back. We don't have to have our heads bowed. However, in our approach both to God and to others, there is a gentleness and a meekness which permeates us, which makes us people within the world that others are drawn to in all of their brokenness and all of their difficulty. And so those first three Beatitudes are an emptying. They're saying these are the things that have happened as you are emptied out. And then the fourth, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness sake, for they shall be satisfied as the capstone. It's sort of the top as Jesus is building this sermon and he moves up and he says, now those of you who have been emptied out will be filled by me. My righteousness will fill you and you are now different. And the very first thing we talked about last week is as we recognize that we start to come off of that capstone and we look and we say we extend mercy then for we recognize that we have received God's mercy. We recognize uh, that Christ found us upon the side of the road to use the Good Samaritan picture again and he came and he at great cost to himself bound our wounds that he healed us that he took care of us and this week uh, we are looking at then blessed are the pure in heart. If you're interested in at least a diagram or a structure, we said those first three are an emptying. The fourth one is the uh, capstone. And then corresponding down, merciful. Well, the most merciful person would be the person who is the most impoverished of heart. That we recognize that we have nothing, therefore we extend mercy. The pure in heart. They would be the ones who mourn over their own sin and they recognize that there's nothing in and of ourselves and we then come and recognize and have a desire for a purity within our own hearts. And then next week we'll be looking at blessed are the peacemakers. Well, who in the world would be more of a peacemaker than the most meek and humble? That they are willing to humble themselves and be at peace with those who are around. So you can kind of see this structure that Christ Uh, is developing. And then the final beatitude that we will look at uh, is the beatitude of blessed are you when you are persecuted. For if you live this way, if you are this kind of person in a culture uh, that is against Christ, you will be persecuted. And so it's building up these seven things. And now it's saying, if you believe this, if you are a person most to be congratulated within the world, you will also be a person who will not be received by the world. For they didn't receive Christ, how then should they receive any of those who follow him? And so it builds and it moves and it's a beautiful structure uh, for us to understand. And this morning, uh, we are picking up then on verse 8, looking at blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The outline for today is very simple. We're looking at the object. The object is our hearts. That's the the main focus of this uh, beatitude. The condition, 
that it says that heart has to be pure. There is no impurity uh, within it. The reward is that we get to see God. And then the means, how then are we to attain both this pure heart and the reward? And so first, looking at the object, what is so important about the heart? For he says, blessed are the pure in heart. The Bible emphasizes regularly uh, the idea of the human heart. The Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of living water, the springs of life. Protect your heart, guard your heart with all vigilance. We've talked about this at numerous points, but it's important to reiterate it this morning because we talk so much in our church about the heart. We want to get to the head, But you can get to the head without ever getting to the heart. You can never get to the heart without first going through the head. So we're preaching to the head that we're hitting here that we want to understand these things. But then we want to move it down the longest corridor in all of history. That's 17 inches or so from here to here to take this and to go. We want to move it to the heart for the heart. Is under attack. So you need to protect it. There's an evil one who is attacking, who comes through the heart. The heart is incredibly valuable, and so you want to protect it. You protect things that are valuable to you with all vigilance. What's something, I bet none of you use the word vigilance this week. What's something that you were vigilant about this week? Now, if you apply it that way, you can look around and realize you're vigilant about an incredible amount of things. But is your heart one of them? To fight and to protect it. To guard it. Because you realize its value is that what flows from it are the streams of life. It it nourishes your life. It it gives to you all that blessing. It is that living water which comes and refreshes the soul. But it's also that which everyone around you drinks from. That if you're married, your spouse is drinking from your heart spring. That they're coming to you. What are they drinking? Is it tainted? Is it poison? Is it stagnant? That if you have children, grandchildren, that they're coming and they're drinking, uh, they're coming and they're asking, what do you have to give to me? Well, I can give you five principles of how to be a better man. It's not life. I need life. Uh, I need something that goes beyond this world. Well, I can tell you how to have a massive 401k and so you'll never have to worry about things again. That's not life. I need life. What are you, what's flowing from your heart? What's going out to those who are around you in your friendships, in your workplace? Guard your heart with awe, vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. The heart is valuable. The scriptures say that the heart's important in 1 Samuel 16 7. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That we do an assessment on how people look, how you've done, and you all look wonderful today. And the assumption would be that you're fine. But we all know that's not the case. How many of you have had a tough week? Anybody? You can do this way up. Let other people know they're not alone. But you look great. How is it that you've had a tough week? Because there's internal things that are going on. We look at the external and we say, hey, how are you? I'm good. You? Good. Great. Fine. Everything's wonderful. We're good. We look at the outside, it says, but the Lord looks at the heart. Later, Jesus is teaching in Matthew 15 
He says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Or in Matthew 12, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak of good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He's speaking to the religious leaders of the day. He's speaking to good southern fundamentalists uh, who say, hey, here would be the, the beatitude we'd write it. The blessed are those who look good on the outside. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who look good to everybody else because they get to see God. They dress up, they don't cuss, they don't smoke, they don't drink, they don't dance, uh, they don't date in, in uh, improper ways. They do all the right things. They tithe on gross. Uh, they come to church, they go to small group, they do this, they look good. They make sure that they pray before meals in public to make sure everyone knows that they take and they put their hands over their hearts that they kneel before the Lord. They've got all of this. And Jesus says, you brood of vipers. You look great on the outside. But on the inside, the heart is defiled. Because what he's saying is, I, I do care about the outside. But the outside follows the inside. So what is meant by the heart? We see that it is so important, but what is meant by the heart? The heart means more than just the mind. It, it includes the emotions and the will. In the Greek understanding, and the ancient Near Eastern understanding that we're looking at here, it is our ability to think, it's our ability to feel, it is our ability to decide. We must remind ourselves regularly uh, that the Christian faith is ultimately not only a matter of doctrine or understanding or of the intellect, it is a condition of the heart. Of every bit of us is being transformed. The heart is the center of a person's being and our personality. It is who we are. It is the fount out of which everything else comes. It includes the mind. It includes the will. It includes the emotion. It is the total person. And that is the thing that the Lord constantly is emphasizing. It's the totality of your heart. Saying the heart is important. But this heart that we have is also in trouble. For the heart, this same heart that God is so passionate about, is the seat of all of our troubles. Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. Our culture constantly teaches that the problem of society is a matter of environment. That's not the case. Environment has an impact. But the problem of our society is a problem of the heart. The problem of the world today is it is filled with individuals who have hearts that are fallen, that are deceitful more than anything else. There is a need for a biblical anthropology, a biblical understanding of man. In other words, the gospel not only tells us that these problems arise out of our hearts, but they do so because at the heart of man as a result of the fall, uh, as scripture puts it, is desperately wicked and deceitful. And Jesus is saying this heart is what needs to be pure. This heart is what needs to be transformed. This heart, the seat of all that you are, this transforming way, 
So now he says it needs to be pure. So what does it mean to be pure would be the next reasonable question. The object is uh, that of the heart. And now we're looking and seeing that the condition of the heart needs to be that of purity. Blessed are the pure in heart. Not blessed are those who have a heart, for everyone has a heart, but blessed are the pure in heart. One way to understand the word pure is singleness. That the word pure means unfolded. It means single-natured. That there is a unity within the heart of the follower of Jesus Christ. Think about the psalmist in Psalm 86, 11, uh, when he came to the Lord, he said, unite my heart to fear thy name. He's saying, I want to honor you. I want to be in right relationship with you. And what needs to happen is my heart has to be united. Well, why would a heart need to be united? Because it's divided. Because it's impure. Because it moves after other things. William Barclay, the great commentator and scholar, Uh, said that the word that's used here is used elsewhere to describe clear water, sometimes metals without alloy, sometimes grain that had been winnowed, and sometimes feelings that are unmixed. Here it carries the idea of being free from every taint of evil. It's more than just a purity of thought, not moving towards sensuality. It, It goes so much deeper than that. That this purity means a heart that does not bring up mixed motives or divided loyalties in its relationship with God. It is a heart of singleness and single devotion to God. Pure and unmixed devotion. Again, hear James in James 4, 8. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. He's saying your problem of double-mindedness is a problem of the heart, that you're not singular in who you are, that you have other gods that you're serving, you have other things that you're desiring, and that this heart, this pure heart, needs to be single in its affirmation of the things, its motives, but it also has to be cleansed. Our understanding of purity carries with it the further meaning of without defilement. That Hebrew speaks of a holiness without which no man can see the Lord. It means to have an undivided devotion to the things of God and to live in such a way uh, that brings glory uh, to the Lord. That it is this beautiful uh, picture, as it were, uh, of a heart that is untainted and a life then flowing out of that heart uh, that is untainted. It's a pure heart, undivided, without mixed motive and mixed allegiance. Think of it in marriage. When you were to get married, you were pledging, as it were, your allegiance to one person. You are undivided at that point, that your heart now is for this person only, primarily in your life. And the breakdown of a marriage so often comes when one Uh, of those in the relationship decides to have a divided, a non-single heart. That the heart wanders after affections for someone else or something else. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. That's the condition. Blessed are the pure in heart. Who gets to ascend the hill of the Lord? But only those who are pure in heart. Only those who have this singular devotion 
So what's the reward then? If you have a pure heart, what's the reward? What's so good about it? What's the benefit of it? What's the blessedness that comes? I've asked this question a lot this week to people randomly uh, at the grocery store, uh, just people that I know on staff, people in my uh, family, and I've asked this question, what do you want to see more than anything else? Think about that for a moment. What do you want to see more than anything else? Now, you're in church, and so you're obviously going to give the Sunday school answer. You're going to say, well, Bill, it's Jesus. Well, I hope that's the case. But it's interesting, I only heard that answer once this week. I heard I'd like to see the Grand Canyon. I'd love to visit Europe. I'd like to see my loved ones who've passed away before me. Uh, I'd like to go to the West Coast. I really want to see uh, a sunrise over, or sunset over the Pacific. I, I heard all kinds of wonderful things. But these are things that we want to see. But the reward here for the Christian is that we get to see God. It's the summum bonum. It is the greatest good. If God is the greatest good in all of the universe, if He is the best of every possible thing, then the best thing for anybody to have would be presence with Him. The ability to see Him. To be able to go, I get to see God. I would really like to see my dad. But that's not motivation enough for me to live a pure life. It doesn't motivate me enough uh, to really radically transform my life. And, and some of you live with the sense that your loved one who's gone before you is kind of your guardian angel who's looking after you. And so you're like, I don't want granddad to see me doing this, so I'm going to act better and do this. But that's not motivation enough. What Jesus is saying here is here's the blessedness. You who are pure in heart, you get to see God. You get to have access into the very throne room of Him. So it has different nuances. Part of seeing God means this. You're admitted into His presence. You have audience with Him. When Moses and Pharaoh were dialoguing, Moses, Pharaoh said to Moses, I will never see you again. Well, he did see Moses again. There, the rest of it, he saw him. So it didn't mean I'll never just see you and kind of look out and see you in the world, but I'll never have audience with you again. You will never be invited into my presence again. Think about if you were to go to a doctor this week. How would you, what's the phrasing that you would say? I'm going to see the doctor. I'm going to have an appointment with. I'm going to have audience with the doctor. Now think about this. How hard is it to get a doctor's appointment? How hard is it to gain audience to your doctor? Some of you have moved on to the, the more boutique thing where you can pay and you've got audience whenever you want to with your doctor. The rest of us go, I'm dying. We can see you January 11th. You don't understand. I'm dying. Okay, the 10th. It is incredibly difficult to get audience with a doctor. Try to get audience with the President of the United States. That would be a rather difficult task to say, I want audience with the President of the United States. He's a busy man. He's an important man. He has things going on. But we, the pure in heart, are admitted into the very presence of God. You have audience with Him. It's impossible to really understand this, but for the Christian 
we're granted audience. God, think about that for a moment. That you get to sit and stand in the very presence of the God whose voice created all things. Let that wash over you for a moment. If it doesn't move or motivate you at all, if you're going, yeah, nothing, McCutcheon. Folks, that's a spiritual problem. Let me just get you to pause. You have so diminished who God is that he doesn't cause awe and wonder. Because we get to have an audience with him. And then when we have audience with him, we get to experience, we use the word in one of our songs, awestruck wonder. We get to experience the wonder, the awestruck wonder of the very presence of God. We experience his holiness directly after God confronted Job in the whirlwind. Job said, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. I'm overwhelmed by who you are. Isaiah caught a glimpse of the glorified Christ, pre-incarnate, up on the throne. And what was his comment? I am undone. I am unraveled is the word in the Hebrew. I am just on the inside, just in the presence of this God because he's so awesome. He's so incredible. We had the fun this weekend of getting the uh, at least digital photo album of our son's wedding. And to see the pictures again, I always get the best seat in the house because I get to stand next to the groom and I get to watch as every bride in all of her magnificence and glory comes down the aisle. And I was watching these, looking at these pictures and seeing my son just beaming, awestruck wonder at the presence of his bride coming to him. And I thought, oh, how little that compares to our desire to be in the presence of God. To be amazed at this beauty that we see now dimly as in a mirror, but one day, face to face. Have you ever considered that for a moment? That one day you will get to see God face to face and you won't be unraveled. You won't be undone. You won't be destroyed You'll be able to make it through. No rope around your waist like the high priest used to have to go into the Holy of Holies. You have access now because the curtain has been ripped and divided. You have access to God and you can go freely into His presence and you can experience Him. Isn't that an incredible thing? I've thought about that all week. And I've been overwhelmed to this point. It is worth any cost. It's worth any cost. I've never been to Europe. And I keep thinking, one day I'm going to go to Europe. And it dawned on me this week, maybe I'll get to go, maybe I won't get to go. But if I don't get to go, I'm not missing out on anything. I get to see God. And then the beauty of that is one day I get to see God in the new created heavens and earth. So I'll get to see Europe one day. It just won't have any of the effects of sin. That'll be a pretty cool day. So I can save my money. I can use it on other things, maybe. But it's that beauty of saying, this singular picture of seeing God can overwhelm and motivate your heart and life. So you get to see Him, as it were, by getting audience with Him. He invites you in. 
You get to experience his awestruck glory and wonder. And you get to be comforted by his grace. You get to see him. Seeing God means being comforted by his grace. Listen to Psalm 27, verses 7 and 9. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. Do not hide your face from me. Part of seeing God's face is that we get to experience his grace in our lives. That we get to understand, hide not thy face from me is saying, be gracious to me. Because when Jesus was on the cross, it said that the Father has turned his face from him. The turning of the face of God away from you is not a good thing. But the turning of his face towards you is the beauty of his grace that we receive. And we experience these things both now and to come. That we get to see God now in the beauty of his creative works. How many of you took advantage of the beauty of last night and went outside? That's it? Folks, open a window. Go outside. It's been brutal. This is why we live here. Not for July. It's for October. And I sat outside with a fire in the fire pit, of course. It was 60-something. It's time. And we looked out and watching the stars just turning on and popping on and popping on and sitting there and realizing that because of the work of Christ in my life, I know who made the stars. It wasn't just a bunch of cosmic atoms bumping into something somewhere along the way, but I know the one who names the stars and knows them by name, by his creative power. I see him in the works of nature. I see him in all of creation. Though you get to go out and you get to, in the boat as the, as the dolphin pulls up next to you and you hear his blowhole. That's so cool. God created that thing. You get to see God in that sense in all of his creative ways. Now, you get to see God now by the reading of his word, which we talked about earlier. That his word comes alive to you. Do you want to see God more clearly? Do you want to, to focus that, that in in your vision? Read this book more. Study it. Think about the person that you love more than anybody else in this life and how often you look at them and study them. You know them. You know their movements. You know what they like to eat and don't like to eat. You know what colors look best on them. You know what scars they have. You know where their freckles are. You know what they smell like. You know everything about them because you've studied them. This is us studying God and seeing him more accurately and beautifully. And then there's the then. And one day we will see him. So how do we attain this goal? How do we become pure in heart and how are we then blessed by seeing God? Because quite honestly, this beatitude is beyond our reach. We can't do it on our own. Jesus is speaking and asking for absolute perfection. You must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew 5, 48, just a little while later in the sermon. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Go in his peace. That'd be horrible, wouldn't it? But some of you grew up in those churches. 
Hey, be perfect because God's perfect and God only accepts perfect people. So make sure that you're perfect so that he'll make you happy and content in this life. But you'll be miserable because you'll never attain perfection. And you know that you'll never be accepted. And because you know your stories and they're not perfect stories and you know your heart. So they're never fully uh, undivided. They always have mixed motives. So what do we do? The psalmist cries out, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. When you hear this beatitude, you cast yourself upon the grace of Jesus Christ and you go, this heart has to be totally redone for it is a heart of stone and it needs to become a heart of flesh. It is a heart that is deceitfully wicked above all else and it needs to, I need a new heart. We must ask him to implant this new heart within us. In Jeremiah, in that picture of the new covenant, I'm going to give you a new heart. That's the promise of God to us. Blessed are those who've been given a new heart. You have a heart transplant when you become a Christian. Your heart now, that old dead one, it's gone. You've been given a new heart which beats, which has as its singular motive to follow Him, to love Him. It gets distracted at times. There are other motivations that come in, but the heart itself is beating for God. We must ask Him to nourish us within, within us a desire for Him that we cast ourselves on Him. Now, folks, this is never passive. Okay, God, give me a clean heart. I got a clean, I got a clean heart. It's active. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. It is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Now mortify the deeds of the flesh. The pure in heart, those who have a new heart, guess what we take very seriously? We take our lives very seriously. The purity of our lives. To see what's coming out. That if you're a person who finds yourself wrestling with anger, anybody in here ever wrestle with anger? Again, the reason I'm asking you to raise your hands is to make myself feel better, but also to try to make other people feel better. That you go, I wrestle with anger. Well, what should I do uh, with my anger? I'm just going to let go and let God. How does that one work? God will deal with my anger. I don't need to do anything. Maybe you need to aggressively attack your anger. Some of you have an issue with drinking and you drink too much. Well, what should you do? Well, I'm just going to let go and let God. It's fine. You're going to aggressively attack it. You're going to address it. Some of you men have an issue with pornography. You can't just let go and let God. You need to aggressively attack it on our staff. We just put covenant eyes on all of the computers of every staff person, every iPad and every iPhone that we have for all the staff because we want to aggressively attack a heart. And to say we want to be pure in our way of living within this world. And we're going to do whatever it takes. How many of you are parents of children? Just let go and let God. They'll be fine. Right? I mean, put an unfiltered computer, a loaded gun, some drugs, and a bottle of alcohol in their room and go to bed. No, you aggressively address their lives. You fight for their hearts. You address those things. We're never passive in these things. So how do we get this goal? We come to Christ and allow him to give us a new heart. So the person most to be congratulated in all the world is the person who gets to see God. And who is that person? That person is the one who has a heart given to him by Christ, given to her by the Lord that beats now for him. So here's your homework for this week, and we'll conclude. Ask yourselves some better questions. Is my heart clean? And do I know anything of single-hearted devotion to God?
Ask yourself that question. Be absolutely honest with God about your heart's condition. Acknowledge that only God can make your heart pure. Fill yourselves with his word. And think about the reward. Think about how beneficial it is. And see if it doesn't begin to curb your appetite for those other things. Let's pray. Father, thank you for gathering us together today. Thank you for the beauty of your word and this beatitude. Blessed are the pure in heart. For Father, none could be pure by your standards. And you knew that, so you sent Christ. And you sent your Holy Spirit to to regenerate within us a new heart, a heart that would beat for you, a heart that would choose you, a heart that would be passionately following you. And in that now we are most to be congratulated. For it's only those who get to see you. And we get to see you. Father, we thank you for Christ who stands before your throne above and we worship him today. Amen.